People don't like to ruffle the feathers. They don't like mm. to disturb the status quo. Grace, Grace. Grace Andrews here today. Yes, indeed. And I think you work on a little podcast with a guy called Stephen. Does Top he smell hits. as good as he looks? <laughs> Grace. Hello. For those that don't know what the Diary of a CEO is, please explain what you guys do. Diary of a CEO is Europe's number one podcast. It's more than a podcast now. We'd all say we're absolutely obsessed to the point yeah. it's probably a bit toxic you know at school you're told mm. just do what you're passionate about and that's terrifying because i had no idea what i was passionate about society tells you you've got to find your passion i think to be like a super unhelpful narrative what if i were to rephrase mm. the same hypothesis as passion gives purpose purpose for me is i'd moved back into my family bedroom and it just felt depressing. I applied for every grad scheme under the sun and I was getting rejection, rejection, rejection. I turned to my friends from uni and said, like, is anyone else feeling like this? Because I'm so lost. And I'm just going to do that because I'm kind of playing it safe. I've never played it safe. Grace. Hello just mentioned that you watched a few of these podcasts so you may be expecting this question but I start all my podcasts with the same question in order to set a certain tone for the rest of the conversation and that question is are you happy diving straight in here <laughs> um yeah I am I am really I think what I describe myself as is content okay um I look back to where I was in the last few years five years ago I do a lot of reflection because I think it brings you a lot of sense of gratitude to where you are now and I think I'm starting to do a lot more things for me that bring me a lot of joy and not listen to all the noise and the things that society tell you you should be doing or should be making you happy xyz so yeah I'm super happy right now what is in your from your understanding then the difference between being content and being happy I think the word can I mean, it's all super subjective, right? Of course. But content for me brings a sense of peace and a sense of calm and a sense of the ability that if something comes at me now in negative news, rejection, bad feedback, I'll be okay. It's not going to take a massive hit and it's not going to knock me back. I'll just be able to kind of stay where I am. Whereas happy for me is almost a temporary state of like elation mm. in reaction. It's quite reactive. Um, I don't think anyone's happy 24-7. Yeah. So content for me is more of like a state of mind or a mindset that I'm in where I'm sitting kind of in the middle, middle ground, and the waves are going to come and the happiness is going to come and the sad is going to come, but I can always come back to that that stability in the middle. Right. So judging on that reaction, you probably don't believe that we should chase happiness, right? I think from my experience, it it comes and goes. Mm. Like sometimes it's in your control and sometimes you can make it happen and 90% of the time it's not. And it's the same for kind of, I'm literally imagining, you know, like a a, a wave graph right now and it, mm. just, it just comes up and it goes down and it's super unpredictable and loads of it's out of your control. So if you're on this pursuit to chase happiness, you're going to end up spiraling. Like I found myself doing it. You just spiral into the ground mm -hmm. and actually kind of, I see, as I said, happiness is a result of loads of different things. So right. it's a reaction to a state of mind or a reaction to an event or a reaction to something totally out of your control. So for me, it's a, it's a worthless pursuit. It's right. just, it's a, it's a reaction. It's a something that happens as a result of X, Y, Z. So 
enjoy it when it comes. Yeah. Often, or at least I've also found that often it's an after the fact realization. You don't necessarily realize in the moment that you're happy. It's just looking back on, for example, memories and stuff. Exactly. And the things that bring me the most happiness or the most joy, I can, and the the elements I can control, I can do more of them in my life to make sure I get that feeling, get that dopamine hit and feel feel those feelings um, as often or as little as I want. Do you know what I mean? If I'm in that state of contentment or con feeling content, I can bring in that happiness as much as much as mm -hmm. I know. Like the, those little hits, seeing my friends, getting some time outside, just going for a lovely meal. Like I can bring that sense of happiness. Um, but yeah. Nice. I use this um, podcast almost as research for a book that I eventually tend to write about the quarter life crisis. Mm -hmm. And one of the guiding research hypotheses that I have is that passion equals purpose. What is your thoughts on that hypothesis? I think for anyone who's heard Stephen Bartlett talk before, mm -hmm. we either he's rubbed off on me or I show a very similar perspective on this concept of passion because I'm passionate about loads of things and this idea that society tells you you've got to find your passion I think to be like a super unhelpful narrative because it just sends people down these very restrictive routes stressing that you know they found their passion they found their passion where's mine where's mine as if it's this prize that you unlock or this this jar with a label on that you can pull out your passion like that's not how it works so the way I see it is I try and find you know loads of things that bring me joy and I'm passionate about learning. I'm passionate about good food. I'm passionate about the people that I work with and watching them thrive and being a great leader. But to find, to try and put it all into a box and say that like my passion equals my purpose, I actually find to be just kind of like a generally unhelpful narrative because I don't think one equals the other and one goes hand in hand with the other amazing if you I think amazing if you if you're a person who's found what brings you so much joy and you love and that fulfills you with purpose fantastic like if it's an after result of it but I think what if I were to rephrase mm, the same hypothesis as passion gives purpose for sure I think I think there's an element I think pur purpose for me is something that is fulfilling from the inside like if you shut off all the noise and all the narratives and all of society telling you xyz purpose is something that like when you do it you feel fulfilled you feel content you feel like you can sleep at night all of those sorts of things and I think for sure I mean for sure that sense of feeling and that sense of calm has got to come from something that you also enjoy doing and mm -hmm. you feel intrinsically passionate about and for sure I think they they can go together but this sense of searching for passion or searching for purpose as if they're literally prizes or things or one thing or things that don't change like god if, even in the last five years has my have my passions changed or I've discovered new passions or things that I love or things that bring me joy and they're evolving and ever-changing so to stick kind of your purpose to a passion I find unhelpful because what if your passion changes and what and then do you lose your sense of purpose or does your passion evolve and it's fluid and your purpose is attached to that fluidity i was about to say could also challenge that indeed purpose doesn't necessarily have to be one specific thing either um 
I also I, w- I want to challenge what you're saying. So I'm mm-hmm. curious just to see because I've been try- obviously I've asked a few people this question by now, and what I seem to see in sense of overlap is that there seems to be a difference between what you're really passionate about versus what you enjoy doing. And an example I get given a lot by mainly men usually is they really are really passionate about football. Yeah. The question then comes to mind, are you passionate about it in the sense that you would get up and do it every day, even on days that it feels shit and that sense passionate, or do you just enjoy doing it? So I guess the same question goes for you as far as you mentioned food, for example. (laughs) Do you, are you really passionate about food or do you just enjoy eating or making or whatever it is good food? I think it's a great question. And I think I would suggest I'm passionate about food because of the feeling it brings me when I'm right. and the con- and it's not just the, the the food or like I think it's more both the sense of making and curating food because it creates an experience with whoever you're doing it with and builds that connection. And for me, that's very purposeful. Yep. Um, human interaction, connection, that's a big tick for me and sense of fulfillment. Um, and then also going up for and centering around, centering food. For, for me, I mean, we could go and talk about this, but like food plays a huge role in conversation for me. I always sat around a dinner table with my family and it built that connection. So food for me is like a central point of focus that I feel is not passionate about, you know, specifically what it is, but it's the whole experience of eating food with other people. So that's kind of a bigger point. Um and I, th- I think there's, I think for a hundred percent, like we can, we'll go down and talk about how there needs to be that level of overlap. If if people are searching for their purpose, like start by looking for what you, what you're passionate about, and that all links together. But I think these words in themselves in isolation, when you don't have time to really dive into them or find the nuance or find the context, and they're just thrown around. You know, at school you're told. Mm well, just do what you're passionate about. And that's terrifying because I had no idea what I was passionate about or actually I had loads of passions and they changed 10 times over the last month because you're a teenager and things are changing all the time. So I just think telling people to go do X, Y, Z because they're searching for a passion or searching for their purpose doesn't delve into the real depths and nuances of the conversation. Do you then have mm, any way that you do find the time to get to the root of of what you then let's get away from the word passion maybe instead say care about yeah what you could see yourself doing so for me I look to enjoy and two parts I look to enjoy what I'm doing as much as I can every day and do my best every day and when you take a step back that looks like you know some days it does work and some days it doesn't work and all of that sort of thing but I think so, for example, the concept that a lot of people will tell you or say to you, or I hear all the time that I've struggled with personally over the last year, two years, is people telling me to find this work-life balance, right? Hmm. And that's made me go into this really deep dive and trying to understand what that means. Because I, for me, I'm so passionate about the work that I do. It is part of my life and it's not one or the other, but I'm also super passionate about seeing my friends and family and spending time completely by myself and reading a fantastic book and all of these other things, food. So for me, when I've broken it all down, I've actually gone, okay, all those things bring me loads of joy. They bring me so much joy. So instead of looking to separate work and life, I'm just doing this thing called life. 
Right. And one of those things right now in my life is the work and it brings me huge amounts of joy. And all of those little things I just see as kind of, I don't know, percentages or blocks in my life and they just go up and down and they move and they ebb and flow. And that's what I look for when I, you know, when I seek this sense of content, content, contentment. I'm saying, I'm saying contempt. Being content. Being content. (laughs) Um, And that's what I seek now. So I think for so long I was seeking this and this is why I kind of feel the way I do about purpose and passion, blah, blah, blah. Because for so long I was seeking these like answers to these narratives, work-life balance, purpose, passion, blah, blah, blah. And people would be like, well, do you, is this the job you're going to do forever? Um, what about your 10-year plan? All of these things. And it's so overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So I just stripped it all back. And I was just like, what do I enjoy doing? What brings me joy? And how can I just increase those in my life and get rid of the things that don't? So it's not a case of fitting narratives or like finding your purpose or X, Y, Z, because it all moves and it all changes. Like if if I've learned anything over the the last kind of five years since leaving university, it's just everything comes and goes. It all goes in waves. It all comes and it all changes. And there's only so much you're actually in control of. So just control the things that you can and make sure that you're doing a little bit of one of those things or all of those things that bring you joy each day and you don't have to separate it into passions you don't have to separate it into work-life balance it doesn't have to fit any of that like it's just strip all of the noise strip everyone else out of it and just focus on you and what you enjoy and I like that for me has been the key to feeling for like intrinsically internally fulfilled where you sleep at night feeling like you've you've done your best that day yeah sorry if that's not the answer no. you're looking for no 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 no, no. all good that is the whole purpose. Uh, <laughs> um, because I think the the key that you or the point that you just touched on in particular is that there's not necessarily a distinction between work life balance. It's just life, and work is a part of that. And I think that taps into this narrative of, as you said, you love. I think even the work that you do. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people, and I think that's where the work life balance topic comes into discussion don't love what they're doing. 100%. And if we, again, take rid of the passion, because I see that that is limiting to some extent Mm. because of the topic, same as I've often had a discussion as far as purpose goes, that people think purpose has to be this big thing. How are you going to change the world? Yeah. In reality, it could be your purpose to just be a good mom. Yeah. And take the best care of your kids that you can, right? My my purpose is just to try my best every day. Exactly. That's, That's it. I was listening to your interview with Sophie Miller from Pretty Little Marketeer. And I I found your story as to how you, I guess, got to the point that you are now quite fascinating because there was at least a lot of overlaps with mine as well. Mm. So if you could just sort of explain, I guess, also what you told there then. Yeah, for sure. So I now work as head of content for Stephen Bartlett and the Diary of a CEO, which is Europe's number one podcast and climbing the charts rapidly in the US. So now three years into the role it's a international brand going back almost three years now when I started in the role there were three of us in the team and we were I don't think we were even top 50 in the charts we were producing one a week scrapping around to find guests it was so far away from where we are now it's unbelievable to look back and see how far we've come to get to and to the way I got into that role when there was only kind of three or four people Stephen Bartlett wasn't known in the same capacity he is today the diver CEO was certainly not you know he hadn't started doing Dragon's Den so he wasn't 
this uh, it didn't have the sense of popularity that he does today um yeah i saw him post this job post and it said hiring for a social media manager and at the time i was freelancing um with loads of small brands helping them with their social strategy I'd started to build up my portfolio. I was really, really enjoying it, actually. I just started to kind of understand the inner workings and started to make some moves, started to make some nice money. And then I saw this job post. And honestly, I... And I wasn't looking. I think that's the difference. I wasn't... I wasn't looking for a job. I wasn't... I was very happy in what I was doing. And I'd kind of found content in what I was doing. And then I saw this. And all I thought was what an incredible learning opportunity. I didn't see it as a job and I, it sounds strange to, to say, but I just saw it as this incredible opportunity to learn from someone who at the time and still is an, an industry leader in terms of marketing and social media marketing, which is what I work in. And I didn't really know much else. I didn't know how much it was going to pay. I didn't know the expectations. I didn't know the team. I didn't really know anything. It was just this job post that said it's going to be a really exciting learning opportunity. And I thought, I love learning and what an opportunity to accelerate my career. Um, so I applied and there was something about it. I believe to some degree in manifestation, but there was some something about it. I saw that post and I, I knew, I could see it. I could visualize it. That was what I was going to do next. And lo and behold, two weeks later, a bit of pestering my now manager, um, I was in the role and I'd started because I needed that kind of get-go behavior and that drive and that someone to just get stuck in. And I was willing to offer that. And it's been the craziest learning opportunity and learning experience of my life. And I say this to my team, I know I now run a team of five um, and head up all the content as opposed to being a social media manager. I just, the opportunity to learn from some of the best, not only the best minds in the world when we have them on the podcast, but the people in our team are the industry leaders in each of the things they do, whether they're um, our guest bookers, our trailer editors, our podcast producers, our talent management, our commercials, they're all industry leaders. So I just genuinely feel so, so grateful and so lucky that I get to turn up somewhere every day where I get to continue to learn. And I truly believe that my learning started when my formal education ended, like without a doubt. I was taught and I consumed and I recited up until the age of 21 when you leave university. I started learning, like really learning about life, about myself, about relationships, friendships, family, romantic relationships, everything after my formal education ended. And I had that Because you, you studied space. history, right? I studied history because for no other reason than my favorite subject at school, my favorite teacher was my history teacher. Yeah. And because I was told I had to go to university. Yeah. I went to a really, really great um, academic school um, where I was given so much opportunity, but there was no other choice but to go to university. It wasn't even a conversation. It was it was even frowned upon to take a gap year already having secured your place. Do you know what I mean? It, it just yeah, wasn't an op yeah. option. I think maybe one person from my year group didn't go to university. And so I did my favorite subject because I didn't have a I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do. Mm. Like no, no, no idea whatsoever. No one could have told me you know, 18-year-old me leaving school that I'd be doing what I'm doing now. You couldn't have even told me three years ago. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I just had a mind. I kind of didn't mind and I was just always open and I've always been quite driven to work. So I've always just tried different things out. I always kind of had a 
some sort of on-the-go job at university, whether it was like handing up flies and leaflets or working on a club door till 3am in the morning or um, doing some surveys, anything. Like I would just pick up jobs here, like waitressing, hospitality. Like I just like to do things. And I left uni and I felt really, really, really lost. For those first six months, I had no sense of, I went, it's not part of direction. I had no sense of direction. I've been, you know, for, through the system of school and then ch- and then chucked out the top and I had no idea. I'd moved back into my family bedroom, my childhood bedroom with my family, having lived out and it just felt depressing. Mm-hmm. And it was only about six months, you know, I'd applied for every grad scheme under the sun with no idea. I was applying for all these sorts of things that I had no qualification or no sense that I even wanted to do I was just doing it because that's what the next thing you did like you did the exams and then you applied for the grad schemes and I was getting rejection 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 I, I can't even count 50 100 rejections um to the point where they wouldn't sometimes even reply they just you know yeah, yeah. they just completely yeah. ignore you and it was see I didn't know what to do I lost all sense of direction and it was only about six months later I was doing some temporary work. I just picked up some shifts here and there. I think I was working in a pub. And I turned to my friends from uni and said, like, is anyone else feeling like this? Because I'm so lost and so confused. And why is no one telling me what to do? And they were like, oh, yes. <laughs> they were like, me too. And only yeah. when we started talking and sharing those experiences. And there are so many fantastic communities now. I do a lot of talks with um, gals who graduate who are uh, community set up for that exact reason to bring people together at that time yeah. it was very confusing give them some direction um, or just allow a, a forum to speak about it in a safe environment and it's the exact same reason I started this podcast because See, no one knows there's no, no handbook and also especially because of the lack of preparation that university gives you for it yeah you know there is this image uh, that you go to university in order to study for a job and you prepare. And once you come out, you'll be have all the skills you need in order to do that job. And um, that's just, as you say, how it goes. And then you do those four years, have a completely different lifestyle to what the typical nine to five is, get into <laughs> the typical nine to five. And then you're like, well, what this now? is not what I signed <laughs> up for. And I think what stops most people at that point is like, well, I didn't sign up for it, but... I'm getting money in. Um, I probably can't really switch anymore because, you know, I studied for this and I don't want those four years or whatever, six years to be a waste of time. And as a result, people stay in that until they retire. I think I've been, I'm very lucky for so many reasons, but I'm lucky to be someone who was born with this innate sense of curiosity and drive. There's, I was that person who, you know, I, I, when I finally secured a marketing internship, after three months, they offered me the full-time role. And I was kind of a bit like, oh, that's a shame. I wanted to go and try something else now. You know, I, was, I, was, I wasn't happy or excited to be given that sense of stability. And in fact, after six months, which nobody tells you to do, you know, don't leave your first job. You've got to get two years on the CV. Otherwise, people will ask why you've left or yeah. they'll think you got fired. And I went... I was so bored. I was actually literally working in the building opposite. And um, I was so... It, was, it wasn't fulfilling what I wanted to do anymore. Um, and I'd learned as much as I thought I could learn there. And I just kind of handed in my notice and went, I'm going traveling, sorry. Yeah. And no one, you know, everyone, everyone's like, why are you doing that? Don't do that. You need to get it on your CV. Why have you only been there for eight months? How are you going to get a job when you come back? And I just always thought like, things will just work themselves out because I'm so do you think they, interested. Do you think they said that because 
somewhere deep down they wanted it themselves or because they truly believe that? I think family and, you know, I'm so lucky I'm supported by such an incredibly strong and driven family as well. But people don't like to ruffle the feathers. They don't like mm. to disturb the status quo. We know, well, we both know all sorts of people who've been in the same job since they started when they were 20 all the way through to retirement. You know, that's because they, they like that sense of stability and that security. I was given, you know, plenty of, I was given so much support when I spoke through the decision, but a lot of people in their first reaction is always like, but, you know, university told us we really should do our first job for a few years for that, you know, for that stamp on our CV. And I'm just going to do that because I'm kind of playing it safe. I've never played it safe, like ever since <laughs> since I was three years old. Like I've yeah, never yeah. played it safe. I've the loudest in the room. I'm the one mm -hmm. to I'm dis disruptive. I change things up. I do things the opposite way when I've been told to do it another way. So I've got that innate kind of curiosity and drive and desire to do things differently. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting. I and I I just think I love to learn. So any opportunity to learn or do something different or find out something new or speak to some, someone new is, is just fascinating for me. So, and I also think it's a generation, like it's obviously a generational thing. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, as you know, the, to or the, the, the podcast is called the core life crisis. Um, and at this point, after speaking to a certain amount of people, I've also come to realize that having a core life, quarter life <laughs> crisis is in itself a luxury, right? Because, there's plenty of people out there who simply cannot afford to have a quarter life crisis. On that topic, would you describe this this phase of your life that you're just talking about that way? As, as a, crisis? a crisis? I was thinking about this on the way here. I think I've been through turbulence and things have been challenging and overwhelming, but have I ever I don't think I I'm in a position to say I've ever been in crisis right. because I wouldn't afford myself that kind of, I find that quite like an extreme situation. Mm -hmm. And I think I've always been, had such a level of privilege in so many different areas of my life that I can never call anything that I've been through a crisis. Right. Um, but for sure, super overwhelming, confusing, lost, like mild, 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 probably depression. Like, not clinical or just mild, mildly depressed probably is the better word to, put it, to say it but just feeling so confused and just waiting for someone to hand me that handbook with the solution and the answer out it's only when that mindset shifts and you start talking to other people about it that you realize it's only going to happen if you go and make it happen and yeah. that was the click that was the switch in my mind I was like okay here we go I'm going to go make this happen I remember I turned to my I thought i I thought I'm going to pursue journalism. That's what I thought I was going to do. And I returned to my dad. We were actually on holiday at the time. And I said to him, like, I think I think I want to go back to, because you have to go to university here to do a master's to get your uh, qualification to become a journalist. So it's yeah. almost like a qualification as opposed to uni, but you have to do it at uni. Um, and I said, I, I think I want to do journalism, but that means I've got to go and do a master. I was 21, 22. Um, got to go and do a master's. And I just think I'm, it's too late. I'm too old to go and do a master's. And he turned to me, almost shook me. Yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. I said, 
if you turned to me at 50 and said you wanted, you know, 70, if you wanted to go and do a master's, it's never mm. too late. Mm. It's never, ever too late. And I was like, oh, but because everyone had gone and done their master's straight away after university, I felt like I'd missed the boat and I should be working, yeah. you know, because that's what the timeline says to yeah. do. Yeah. Um, so I went and did that. And that's how I ended up actually discovering social media journalism, then dropped the journalism bit and just went into social media marketing. And it all evolved from there, just from having an open mind and just being curious and looking up and seeing what's around me and having conversations with people, starting to build a profile on LinkedIn, going for coffees with people and just having that desire and curiosity. I think about it all the time because I think you, you know, I feel like I'm in such a amazing job where I love what I do. And I think, why me? Like, why am I, I so lucky this, yeah. that I've had been afforded all these opportunities? And I used to say it was all luck. Like I used to say, so lucky that I got that job, you know, but actually... Yes, it's a little bit of luck. Yes, it's a little bit of right time, right place. But it's also all the stuff you put in to get yourself in that position so you're in the perfect position when the when the opportunity arises. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't, and I didn't, and I probably don't still give myself enough credit for getting myself into that into that state of mind where I was the best candidate at the right time. Yeah. Um, or I was, gave them enough willingness to learn. I personally have a bit of a love-hate relationship with the word luck. And as a result, actually, I end up... Um, I have a, a vlog that I put out every week in which I discuss how or challenges I'm either facing with the podcast or what I'm doing to make it grow or anything that relates yeah. to the podcast. And actually, I realized only recently that the sole reason why I do that is because if anyone, whenever this podcast becomes successful, says to me, ah, you got lucky, I'll be like, go back, watch <laughs> all the vlogs that I made over the course of however long it takes. Tell me if it's still luck then. It's so you're social proofing yourself. Generally, yeah, that's what kinda. we call it. Um, we're, we're vlogging, and we have we go through this kind of conversations all the time because people say it to Steve, right? People say you got lucky, and he goes, "Well, there's always there's always a tiny little element of um, right time, right place, all of those sorts of things." But you're not. It's not the right time and right place if you're not putting yourself in the right time and right place. Yeah, and that's why he he'll always refer back to, you know, there was an article a while ago that said you got lucky, blah, blah, blah. Um, and he goes, well, I've got eight years of daily vlogs to show what I was doing to get lucky. Yeah. And if that's luck to you, fine. But yeah. it was also, you know, sleeping three hour nights, traveling the world, grafting, 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 sleeping on the floor, not going on a plane till he was 22. Like, do you know what I mean? All, yeah. all those things. But it's easier for people to say you got lucky, isn't yeah, it? yeah. It's also, it's having the talent. I think that's what people mistake for luck, but it's having the talent to be able to see the opportunities. Because if you're not able to see the things that are potentially in front of you, then... Well, it comes back to like a growth mindset or a fixed mindset, right? Yeah, kind of. So growth mindset, you're looking, you're wanting to improve, you're, you've, your eyes are above ground. That's how I see it. Fixed is like, eyes to the ground you're not looking that you don't know when the opportunities are coming up yeah you know i've read a lot about the growth mindset and the fixed mindset and i've always just resonated so much with this growth mindset and i mm. i didn't really believe or understand that people genuinely had this fixed mindset and i thought how how strange that because the whole you know all the books and all the writing is about transforming yourself from this fixed mindset to the growth mindset and i'd read them go i've i've been in this growth mindset my whole life like i'm always looking and pushing doors and that's the other thing doors might be ready to be pushed open, but you're not giving them a little push. I think people are always like, oh, the door was open for you. It's like, no, mm. actually I knocked on about 300 yeah. doors and then shoved one open. <laughs>
I understand the fixed mindset. And I think it also relates back a lot to the to the way we are educated because education would have you believe that there's only one right answer that you have to memorize and you have to answer when the test comes up. And as a result, you're like, well, if there's only one answer, there will be no other doors that I can open. Um, and it was only until I, I started my own first business that I realized, ah, okay, there are ways to learn. There are ways to develop that growth mindset, actually, and, and switch. If you're anything like me, you may have spent months, to some cases years, trying to figure out what your passion is. You've eventually figured it out and are contemplating making the jump. In doing so, one of the first things you are faced with when building a new business or even being a creator is finances. Now, the select few love this part. I personally do not. So luckily, I'm very proud to announce today that I've I have a sponsor who is able to fix this problem for you. For the Sharp listeners, you may know them from episode 30, Edwin from Moneybird. They decided to sponsor this podcast today. Now, I know that when I started with my business four years ago, I was super overwhelmed by all the things I had to do from sending invoices to doing my taxes. It was all a lot and all very confusing and almost made me stop. Moneybird aims to automize the financial processes such as sending invoices such as sending reminders for invoices such as giving you exactly how you need to fill in your tax overview so if you're a starting entrepreneur or creator in the netherlands i'd absolutely recommend using moneybird i'll add the link to their website in the description down below and with that being said let's get back into today's show so i don't think there will be many people but for those that don't know what the diary of a ceo is Please explain what you guys do and, and especially what you specifically do. Yeah, of course. So Diary CEO is Europe's number one podcast and rap rapidly becoming internationally one of the top 10 podcasts in the world. Um, it's more than a podcast now. We started by um, with our producer, Jack, and he would also book the guests. He would film, he would edit, he would do the full, the full production um, and it would be a case of kind of finding anyone with a good story to come on and chat with Steve, getting out each week. And then we realized the opportunity. Podcasts were absolutely booming. They still are. And the uniqueness of having a platform or an environment where people feel like they can come and sit for two, three hours and just chat. And it's not going to be chopped up. It's not going to be pulled out of context. Um, people are going to hear the full two hours. You know, we do so little cutting. We do, it's like ums and ahs that are cut out. The story is always there. And we all, re and we, we, we all knew, we just knew that this was going to be big because we were going to put in the hours and we were mm. going to put in the the time together. So we started expanding the team and we started setting goals and we started looking at the data so, so, so closely, like obsessively. Mm. I think we'd all say, all of us together, every element of the team of now 26 of us who work across this in different capacities would all say we're absolutely obsessed to the point yeah. it's probably a bit toxic. Mm. <laughs> um, like we'll, we'll be the first to say that. Like we're looking at it, the podcast that went up this morning at 6am and then 8am onto YouTube probably the thumbnail has been changed five times already probably the title's been edited three times probably the data has been followed you know almost to the five minutes to understand how we can move that the the trajectory of the growth to understand all the different comp components so we're obsessed my 
my role specifically started as social media manager. So I would look at and listen into the podcast episodes and understand which parts would work for social and how we could draw more people in because podcasts don't grow organically because they're not search platforms unless you're on something like YouTube. Um, you need to be growing kind of using your other platforms that you've built up to bring your community over to the to the long form. So we were the, one of the first podcast, definitely one of the first podcasts in the UK to care about filming. And we filmed every single episode in person because we saw that the production value went through obviously goes through the roof when you're doing it in person but also allows for a completely different conversation like completely different what you're getting on zoom is always going to be limited whereas it's not limited in a room i mean our cry rate of guests crying on the podcast is silly and yep. you couldn't get that on zoom no. um not that we rate or value <laughs> rate the crying <laughs> but we call it a cry rate because we think it's so crazy how many people feel so comfortable and so um the ability to get so vulnerable in the room and that that they do cry um and yeah so we just we started growing and growing 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 the team growing everyone and coming sorry coming back to my role so I would look at it understand how to translate it onto social media because people have very short attention spans and how to get them to come and watch the long form all different sorts of things how we could build a community on different platforms and create a forum for people to discuss it and all of those sorts of things and then eventually as our team grew we've grown people on the team who manage the different channels and um, we have three people working directly on our clips we produce 10 to 20 clips per episode we do 20 episodes uh, we do two episodes a week we're across eight different social media platforms um that reach over 10 million people so the growth has been phenomenal crazy yeah but i don't think it was on i don't think you'd ask anyone in the team and they no one would be shocked like I think it's right. amazing to see how far we've come and it's so important to look back to realize how far you've come to really kind of understand the gravitas of it but no one would be surprised because mm. every single day my whole ethos of I wake up and try my best every day every single day every single one of us on the team wakes up and has tried our best and pushed those limits and pushed the barriers and crew you know with the we were the first I mean, we were the first podcast in Europe to produce trailers, like movie level trailers every week, twice a week and hire a dedicated trailer editor. No yeah. one was taking podcasting as seriously as us. I don't know if anyone is, you know, you've got the Rogans and you've got the American podcast who got it and understood it and understood the power of filming and why it was so important to share the audio first mm -hmm. chat, uh, platform in a visual in a visual format. Um, and we just recognized all that and we ran with it and we invested time, we invested money, we invested man hours and we just knew that we were going to win because we cared more than everyone else. Yeah. And we were willing to fail faster than everyone else. Mm. We're experimenting on the daily. Like we're experimenting in ways that people don't even think about experimenting because we're we're talking about it and we're there in person every day thinking about tweaking that, tweaking this. And when we saw the, you know, we've you've got all the projectors and the predictors of your growth. There are loads of social, uh, there are loads of tools and platforms you can do to predict the growth based on your kind of last five months, six months. And we knew that it said after five years, we were going to hit one million on YouTube. And we said, okay, if we can shift that line by one degree, suddenly we're going to hit it in three years. What if we can hit, you know, shift it by five degrees, we're going to hit it in one year. Do you know what I mean? It was all those little things that if you really understand the power of compounding growth and compounding interest, mm -hmm. that 
every day you can make little tweaks that are going to shift that that trajectory in a massive, massive, massive way. And that's something Steve instilled in all of us and in the team. And we're, like I said, we're obsessed. Like yeah. we're literally, we're obsessed. We call it a show now. It's gone beyond being a podcast. We have live shows. Um, we sold out the tour last year in a matter of seconds because of the insane community that's been um, grown and cultivated as a result of the podcast um, we took it round the UK we're taking it round internationally next year yeah. and we you know we experimented with that we most people expect a podcast show to be two people on stage having a podcast conversation live on stage and we went okay we're going to turn that on its head we're going to have a Daddy person, yeah. gospel choir. We're going to have singers, performers. We're going to have the best lighting show. show. We're going to make it a show and we're going to make it entertaining. And Steve understands from his social media marketing background and his marketing background, people. Like mm. really understands human behavior and um, behavioral psychology and all of that sort of thing. Um, so we know how to grab people's attention. Yeah. And now we're bringing out, you know, we've just bought out products. I'm, I, do a lot of the I run the marketing for all of the product drops and everything we're launching there and it really is just getting I know it sounds crazy but we really are just no, getting it's, started it's, it's not <laughs> I I think I started watching at episode 23 wow I don't even remember who the first guest was but I've been following for quite a while yeah and many many of the of the things that I do or the way I'm trying to build this myself comes from the things I learned from the podcast. So, I mean, you guys hear really on cool. the daily <laughs> how much you affect people's lives, but I don't know. I'm pretty sure 90% of the quotes that I have in my head, I heard on the show. So that's, um, yeah, you guys are doing amazing work wow. uh, and a bit of a fanboy in that sense. <laughs> I mean, it never get like you say, you hear it all the time, but that's, that's our why. Like w when I say we're obsessed, that's our why. Like yeah. hearing people lives actually changed as a result of something they held on a something you helped contribute mm. to or produce best feeling in the world so yeah. like it never gets up we have a whole channel on our communications platform dedicated to impact anytime anyone sees anything stick it in there stick it in there stick in there we read everything yeah. we see every comment we see every person who's broken up with their boyfriend because they've heard something or person mm. who's quit their job or person who's been going through depression for five years and feels like they're coming out because of one thing one person said or they've gone and got an ADHD diagnosis because of jam all of these different things and that's why we do it yeah it's not for the number like the numbers are the numbers it's not it's not for any of that it's not for the money like it's not for any of that they're like side byproducts and I think that's why we've been so successful at it because we care so deeply about the true human real life impact and we see it and we feel it and it's incredible so it's so cool to see that like all of this mm. and all the things you're doing and I see you know your trailers at the start of episodes or the care and the detail and the setup and the fact that you know you're from another country but you've come to do this in person with me is like the detail and I can see it and it's it's really cool yeah no without a doubt you guys uh <laughs> As I said, a lot of it is inspired on on the basis of what you do, and especially that I think the part that I learned the most was this one percent uh, better. And I, I I have a team of two now that are helping me as interns, which in itself is still crazy to me at <laughs> points. But um, I try and do the same with them. That's like, look, we don't have to hit a hundred new viewers next week, but if we hit one, and the next week we hit two, and the next week we hit three. It'll compound. It's just a matter of, are we able to hustle long enough? It's just, it's patience. It's, and yeah. 
Uh, on that point, I remember also that at some point you were starting your social climber page. <clears throat> and meanwhile, you were working in a pub, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Right? <laughs> Are there any um, pieces of advice, I guess, if people have this dream or this idea of, I want to do this, whatever that may be, how to stay motivated that they put in the effort, I guess, put in the work for the bigger picture? It's a great question. I can only kind of speak from my experience that your driver or your reason for doing it has to be so like intrinsically bound. It can't be that you want a car and you want to be able to afford that car. It can't be, I don't know, that you want to, whatever it is, like a monetary goal because that motivation will run out. You'll get bored. Either you'll get the car and then you'll be like, what now? And you won't care about the thing you're doing or you'll get bored because you'll realize that it's a monetary materialistic item and it feels too out of reach, which is why I come back to this thing. I've said it like 10 times this podcast. Like if I just know that I'm doing my best every day and I'm just moving one step, one step, one step up the ladder and I'm doing it, that's not so overwhelming. And it allows me to stay motivated every single day because I'm not going for this huge overarching goal. I'm just driven by my desire to do a little bit better every single day and I mean there's there's loads of advice and there's loads of thoughts on motivation and habits mm -hmm. and and all of this stuff but I think your driver just has to genuinely genuinely be something you you really deeply believe in not something someone's told you or that you think you care about because it's none of this stuff like mm -hmm. it's it's not stuff it's your reason for doing it and maybe and you know I also I'm super aware and I want to caveat everything I'm saying that I have very little responsibilities at this stage in my life. Like mm -hmm. I don't have kids. I, you know, have a boyfriend who totally gets it and gives me all the time in the world and is fantastic. Um, and I have family who deeply care that I can fall back on if I need them. I'm very lucky and I'm very cushioned. So for me to say, you know, do something because you deeply believe in it or do something because it drives you and you wake you up in the morning. Like I, I understand that I don't have responsibilities that I need to afford to pay for and I don't have you know I'm not in these des desperate situations so it's very easy for me to say as well but I think when you and this is why I think it's really important to say that when I did start I was doing like six different things at the same time to be able to afford to do the thing that I was loving doing in the evenings like I was going and working the 12-hour pub shift with a you know one hour lunch break or whatever coming back in the evenings and doing my client work because it was a pro bono and I wasn't being paid And the reason I the reason I did that was genuinely because that I knew that if I did that for six months or a year, I'd be able to start charging. And I just saw it as a short term loss for a huge, huge long term gain. Yeah. And that was my that I'm just speaking from personal experience. Like that was my motivator. And I've seen people do. I've also seen people do jobs their whole lives that they're disgruntled about and that they don't find joy in and they come home miserable and I've seen that and I've I knew that I would do anything not to have that as well and I think I've, I think that's deep down yeah or in my case it was my so I guess to, to for also for you to understand a little bit why I asked the questions mm -hmm. about passion specifically <clears throat> when I was from 12 to 15 I lived in Scotland And my parents had a hotel there. Mm. And um, at that time was the first time that my dad ended, ended up 
doing something that he truly loved, right? He was the the manager there and the chef, or, or well, they owned the hotel, but the, he was managing and, and worked as a chef. And as a quite young, impressionable boy at that time, watching your dad do that with such passion, it was contagious. Mm. It, it's also where I still believe a lot of my uh, entrepreneurship stems from. And we ended up going bankrupt because it was around the time of the uh, recession and and the question is whether or not where do passionate people get the ability because they also fail to get back up and just keep going even if you fail and that is what I'm trying to understand here and also why I asked the question about passion in particular. Yeah I think from listening to so many incredible people on the pod on the Dive CEO everyone from you know from I think at the top of my head like the Monzo CEO Tom Blomfield um, or even Whitney Wolf Hurd, who founded Bumble, these like incredible, incredible, successful founders and CEOs who are now billionaires, you know, all of them billionaires. But my goodness, did they go through hard times and hit rock bottom and not sure, you know, unsure how they were going get to get out of it or come out the other side and bankruptcy or total failure, public humiliation. And yet, you know, we're talking to them on the other side of it. And mm. I, I think about it all the time. I think, what's the difference between someone like you and someone who doesn't doesn't have the drive or doesn't have the passion or doesn't have the the feeling to wake up the next day and go, I can keep doing this? And like, is it an innate drive? Is it a, um, you know, is it you're driven by, like, what is it that you're being driven by to get up and go again? Mm. Um, I don't have the, yeah, I'm still learning. I don't yeah, have the answers yeah, yeah. to that yet. But I think it's so fascinating that, some people have it and some people don't or maybe people have it at different stages of their lives or and then it fades or people have the energy or they don't or again did they have responsibilities where they go yeah. i can't take that selfish risk anymore yeah. you know there's it's i am i'm in this hugely amazing state of my life where i can afford to be quite selfish with all my decisions so i can take quite high you know it's like mirrored in investing. Like when you're mm. younger and you don't have dependencies, you can go super high risk. But as you get older and you're looking at your pension pot and you're looking at your children, mm. you're like, mm, maybe I should bring them down yeah, to a medium yeah, risk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's that sort of thing. So maybe it's a case that they were they were young, they were feisty and they didn't have any responsibilities and they could go, I can give this a shot again. Or I've learned so much that I'm not, I know the mistakes I've made and I'm, I'm learning and I'm going to apply it differently next time. Mm. But it takes a lot of it takes a lot of guts. Yeah, I have a recurring segment on my show, and uh, you've probably seen the jar in front of you, in which I have collected community questions. <clears throat> so I'd like to ask you to take one out. You can read up both the name and the question, and then give your opinion on it. How exciting! We love a recurring segment. <laughs> I know. Um, Kyra Bar, Kira Bar. It's my girlfriend. <laughs> um. Who helped you the most throughout your journey? What's so funny is actually so many people come to mind. Um, I've said it a few times on here. Like I've been so, I was thinking about this actually just last night. Like I've been so lucky to be surrounded by my family and role models and my parents in particular, My probably my dad in particular, who has this unbelievable drive that I've never really reflecting on and realize how much it's impacted me so you know I've seen him work so hard his whole life and it's 
infectious. Like it's inf- people because I've come from such a you know, I've had huge amounts of privilege in my life. Um, I've had a fantastic education. I've been brought up in a really lovely, you know, part of the world. Um, and, a lo- I, you know, you see it all the time. People can have no sense of drive when they've been given so much. And I've always wondered, like, why am I so driven? Why would I, you know, I didn't have to at university go and get all these jobs financially. Yep. I, di- I like, to be totally honest, I didn't need to, but I I just always wanted to work and I always wanted to find something. And I was always looking for opportunities. 100% comes from my dad. So I think he's given me that an innate sense of like drive, go get it, go find it, go do it, make it happen, which I wouldn't be in the position I am today if he hadn't done that for me. So I'm so, so, so grateful for my for my parents. And I'll give them a shout out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously the other side of things in terms of getting to the position that I'm in today and affording me this knowledge and opportunity and responsibility and trust, obviously where I work now, and I wouldn't even put it ha- entirely down to like Steve. He's fantastic. Love working next to him. He's more like a friend and a mentor than like a their boss. Um, but everyone I get to work with, like my whole team and all the people we come across and just all give me little bits to mm. push me on my journey. And I do think I have the best job in the world. Like mm. being able to get up every day and never have the Sunday scaries or never dread going into work. And having having dreaded going into work, I know what that feels like in other jobs. Um, it's the coolest feeling in the world. And I feel so grateful. So grateful to the people who brought me up and grateful to the people who I get to spend every day with. They've all afforded me this wonderful opportunity. I have two more questions. First one is from all the podcasts that you have done by now. What what number are you at now? Oh, 200 and yeah, 50 a, something. A lot <laughs> wild. Um, is there any one particular that still sticks in your memory the most? Um, my favorite. Oh, I have I have so many favorites. The one that I think about all the time was Whitney Wolfhard, who um, was the CEO and founder of Bumble. She was the youngest female billionaire, um, founder billionaire, self-made billionaire. And she was the most down-to-earth, grounded human being I've ever met. You would never know if you walked by her in the street what she's done or what she's been through. And she's been through tremendous hardship to the point where there are, you know, NDAs and court cases, which means she can't talk about it in detail. And her drive and passion to f- well, drive and passion her those stupid words that I've demonized this whole <laughs> podcast and I'm using in my own vocabulary still learning um her ability and her get up to go get up and go and her mindset of thinking outside the box and doing things differently I found so incredibly inspiring and I reference back to on a daily if not weekly ba- weekly if not daily basis um she was actually when I started out in the job we kind of all wrote down or had a conversation about who our dream guests would be or who we'd love to kind of have a conversation with and she was mine so to have her kind of come on two years later um it was a real full circle moment for me I posted about it on my LinkedIn as well it's the only guest I've ever asked for a photo with right and of the because it a photo kind of doesn't mean much when you've this person's given you two and a half hours of their time and you've had the opportunity to listen and meet them before and meet them afterwards like what's a photo do you know what I mean you've gained so much the photo kind of feels trivial, but this was such a full circle moment for me. And I, it will be imprinted in my mind forever. Yeah. And it, yeah, it was, I, Steve went, 
my 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 uh, head of content would love a photo because I couldn't even I was honestly lost for words and I'm not someone who ever gets yeah. lost for words as you probably yeah. learned. I can talk and talk yeah. and talk and um I was like shaking and I went up and I had this photo. Then, I was so starstruck, starstruck and it's I listened back to the that one episode a lot. It's super inspiring. She did a episode. The first the reason I found out about her was when I was at university I listened to her on how I built this guy Rouse's podcast and I remember being like she was so high up at, at the competitor. Something happened. The competitor dropped her and she went, I'm going to go and build my own one now and becomes one of the biggest dating apps in the world. Like how cool that she's just this one person with an idea mm. and went and made that global phenomenon happen. Um, very cool. I think she's very cool. And oh, oh, what I also listened that, to that podcast, obviously what I also loved about that is the getting knocked down and then just get back up. Just do it. That's fine. Prove him wrong. And They'll like, tell you you that, can. The public humiliation him. as well. Like, yeah. she was in all this, and most people will go, oh, I'm just going to retreat now. Like, I'm just going to go and do my own thing, keep a low profile. And she was like, nope, I'm going to go and do this publicly and we're going to start straight away and these people believe in me and we're going to run with it. And she, be it's that self-belief as well. Yeah. So cool. The last question is, what does the future hold for Grace? Um, I don't tend to think too far into the future because I think it can be a little bit restrictive I'm not for me personally people in my team have like their five-year plans their mm. 10-year plans um my immediate future is one to just keep enjoying everything I'm doing um and I think that's it for me I've always said like if the enjoyment runs out or changes or I'm not getting for a sustained period of time that sense of joy and fulfillment from it then I'll, you know, look to New Horizons. But I'm starting to do a lot more kind of speaking opportunities and public speaking and events. And um, I absolutely love that part of what I get to do. And it's super encouraged by my whole team. So I'm loving doing more of that. And yeah, I don't tend to think too far in the future. I'm Lots of things are changing in my life. So just trying to create a little bit more sense of stability um, mm -hmm. is, is all I'm looking for. Appreciate your time, uh, Grace. I know no you're a super busy woman. Um, as a fan, I'll re-highlight uh, the fact that I will be watching more and will be taking inspiration more. Um, I'm loving what the, the work that you guys are doing. And yep, cannot thank you enough. Thank you so much. Thank you.